So for today's episode, I got to sit down with Zach Lemire. He's the owner of Pivot Creative, and I gotta say he's probably the first established tycoon that we've had on so far. Uh, He's been in some sort of entrepreneurship for a little over 24 years now. He's had 10 businesses to date, this one of course being his most successful, and every one of them growing to be more and more successful as he kind of went through that journey. So he started in graphic design, and now what Piff Creative does is they're a full-service marketing and branding agency. But their difference is that they understand business. And one thing about Zach that you'll notice is that he has no problem saying no to clients. If it's not, if his service is not going to work for the client, he has the integrity to tell them straight up, it's not going to work for your business. It's either too expensive. Maybe you're not at the point where you can commit either the budget or the time or the resources to what this marketing plan and branding is going to do for your business. Or maybe you're just not at the point where you could even handle what could come of it. So, you know, he, he tells the clients what they need, not what they want to hear. And, you know, the, the integrity driven persona of, of him, um, really just speaks to how he runs his business. He's shut down businesses in the past because the the ways that were necessary to scale the business just didn't sit well with him. And so he's actually closed down the businesses. Um, you know, he's had three very successful businesses, seven of which weren't necessarily failures, but maybe they were, like he mentions, one of his business was, you know, maybe wrong time and the market share just wasn't there at that point. Uh, but for the most part, he's had incredible success with various different service businesses. And, you know, like I said, we talk a lot about his journey over the past 24 years. And one of the things that he speaks on for a bit towards the end of the podcast, which I loved, was knowing when to quit. And in the best connotation on that possible, knowing when to take something that may not be doing as well as you would have hoped, setting a deadline for when you decide, well, if it doesn't hit this quota, we're going to shut this down and we're going to move on to something new because the market's telling us that. So, you know, he, he really understands business. He has a great business acumen and he has clearly shown that in his current business now. So, you know, I, I urge everybody to listen to Zach, listen to his story and take some of his specific business advice and try and apply it wherever you can in your business. So without further ado, here's Zach. So where we really differentiate is we understand business. Most marketing agencies understand the basics of marketing. They don't really understand the full scope of what a brand really is. And they'll give you whatever you want. They'll give you a map. And a map is great if you want to know all the directions at the same time. But that's not useful. So we will challenge you to find out exactly what you need, what your business goals and how to get there. And because we've done this many times, both my business partner and myself, um, successfully and unsuccessfully, we know how to craft a compass for you. And the compass is really what you want because you could get dropped in the woods with a map and stay lost for the rest of your life. But you get dropped in the woods with a compass and you'll find your way out. And that's the method, the methodology that that is the backbone of everything we do. We really want to f- establish a, a rock solid foundation where we really understand who you are as a company in an unflappable way. You know, like we want to figure out what are your core values and don't tell me trust and integrity. Show me how trust and integrity Echoes in every essence of your business. Show me how, you know, you can make hiring and firing decisions against these things. Show me that, and then we'll talk about trust and integrity. Right. But don't tell me the same old status quo junk. Um, 
And once you have this unflappable compass, that is the guide point, you know, just like North is always North. It's unflappable. There's no way to change it or challenge it. It's just North is North. And that's the, that's the principle behind it. And then we really figure out who your target market is, but beyond just, you know, that they need your services. Great. Um, but we really want to know, psychologically speaking, how do they think and feel? And we use psychological archetypes to back that up. Things from Carl Jung, like we didn't invent these things. We just, we just put them in our toolbox and we use them so that we have actual science and data-backed results. And now you know who they are, how they think and feel and what they need from you. And then we kind of, we go deep down into the competitive landscape. We want to figure out who you, how, how you stand out against everyone else. We know what you stand for as a company now. Now let's figure out how you stand against the, the rest of the world. And then when we figure that out and who you want to target, then we can figure out some messaging and how to be consistent. And that's where we kind of craft a voice and tone and we craft, um, you know, uh, we, we pair your brand with an archetype to make sure that your archetypes are in alignment. Um, because a psychological archetype, like one of them is creator, right? And part of that is one of the things I love is being original. One of the things I hate is repetition. So as a creator archetype was one of my mix, I hate things that are popular because it's pandering to the status quo and the lowest common denominator most of the time. And it's not original and it's not cool and it's not unique. And so I hate it. If it's cool, I hate it. That's pretty much, you know, I should put that on my, on a t-shirt and just wear it all the time. Uh, and, but that's the kind of thing that you, the insights that you can draw from figuring out what the mixes are, right? So is it, are you a caregiver? Are you a ruler? Are you an outlaw? Are you an everyman? There's just a lot, there's 12 of them. Um, again, based on Carl Jung's foundational science. Um, and it's how people just react. And we're, we're only conditioned to survive or thrive. That's it. We're hardwired for that. So we're always subconsciously looking for something that's going to help us survive or thrive. So if you don't position yourself as one of those assets, people are subconsciously tuning you out as well. So we really, really do go into the science before we even start thinking about what colors you like. Right. And because what colors you like are really not that important. So we'll, we'll challenge them and not just give them everything that they want. We'll get, because you can, you can make a list of whatever you want for free, your favorite things list. You can do that for free by yourself. You don't need us to do that, but you do need us to tell you what you need and to execute that need so that you can get what you really want, which is a successful business. Right. Okay. So where you start the whole process would be at the very basic, like survive or thrive what's your pitch going to be is it going to be based on seeing uh how you can help people thrive or survive is that where you kind of start that process well that's what every business should be doing right that's the only thing that we care about is survival or thrive um it looks like i froze for a second yeah. okay um um that's all that people care about because we're subconsciously programmed for that it's just it's just in our dna and and it's part of our primordial you know, or that's not probably the right word, but you know, our, our prehistoric kind of brain is that we're always just looking for that. So that's the condition that you need to apply to everything you talk about with your business. It's a solution to something. Now, even, even if it's a, a, a luxury product, it's still helping them thrive because they want to be seen by something. And usually that they're, you know, again, we, we tap into those archetypes and figure out, you know, what is the things that they love and what are the things that they hate and what are, what do they really resonate with? And then we can target messaging around this because we're, we're also fundamentally um, conditioned to appreciate story, right? So story is a mechanism that helps human beings compartmentalize large plots of information in a way that makes sense. Um, so that's why it's used in everything. It's used in music. It's used in movies. It's used, it's used in speeches. It's used almost in everything. 
um, because it's a way to keep us engaged and we create a gap, a gap in that story, right? Have you ever watched a movie where they start with the car accident? Yeah. And then they go back ready. The, the very next scene is they're at home eating breakfast. Well, what the hell happened? Story gap. Now you're locked in. It's by design because that's how we operate as human beings. So, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's how we approach things, right? So we really want to make sure that you're getting what you need. And even if you take this focus 360 that we put together for you, there's no, there's no tie to us, right? This is foundational science and marketing that you can apply. You can bring this to any marketing company in the world and they'll be grateful for it because they'll finally be able to do their work well. Cause they'll have all the answers that you don't know how to articulate. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you, you guys do a very good job in pulling out what exactly is necessary for you to begin the process in the beginning, which other media companies don't, they try and piggyback on what you already have and they don't really challenge too often. Right. It's because, you know, most marketing companies were made by people who went to art school or design school, which makes sense. That's where I started too. And they don't teach you this stuff. And this kind of work is not fun. I mean, it's not, it's more analytical. It's not really super creative. It's not pictures. It's not pretty. It's not all the things that they went to school for. So most people just want to get that out of the way and say, you know, people will show up and say, Hey, I like the color blue, make me a business. And that's, and that's really boiled down, but that's, it's essentially what they say, you know, that I want my logo to be in this and my business, me, me, my, my, me, me, my, never, ever is your brand or your business about you ever. Even if you're a personal brand, it's never about you. It's about them and what you do for them, period. End of, end, end of story. Right. And, and that's the fundamental problem that most people make in every single piece of their branding and marketing is they center it around themselves. And nobody cares about you. They only care about what you do for them because you're helping them survive or thrive. Right. Right. It's it's kind of that that idea where like like Alex Ramosi talks about it a lot is give give so much. Just give and 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 give, and give so that either people are willing to to give back to you without you even expecting it, or when you're ready to ask you've given so much that it's a no brainer. Like you give them no reason to say no, no reason to not close the, close the deal. You've given so much. And so that's an interesting way. So you got, you try and position the brands that you help people create based on how much can you give and to what point can you give before you need to ask? Basically. Yeah. And, and I would call this the Godfather model, right? I'll do a favor for you. But at some point, I'm going to need a favor back, right? You know, and so it's not as you know insidious as, as say a Godfather model, but it's basically the same thing. Um, and we don't only do it through the Focus 360, right? Like we're a full service marketing agency, so we'll do a lot of different things. And some people come to us and they just need a logo. We'll do a micro version of this, but we'll still be doing more research than the average place. And we'll be it really it boils down to asking the right questions and questioning all the answers. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, so that that's that's interesting, and I wanted to make sure I highlighted kind of how you guys position yourselves in in the market of marketing agencies because you 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 and I talked a lot about in our last call like how integrity driven you and your company are, and how it's mm -hmm. it's again it's obviously we just talked about the foundational um, you know perspectives of starting that brand, but like you guys are very integrity driven, and and you even told me like you know our services are not made for everybody. They are made for an exclusive number of people who are willing to not only shell out the money that it is required, but like you're, you're a no guy. You're completely okay with saying no. 
and mm-hmm. you know maybe in part you enjoy it i don't know sometimes i enjoy saying no but that's beside the point the whole idea is that like you know if i were to come to you with my brand the trust is not built because of what you've done in the past necessarily it's built because you're willing to tell me no i agree and especially because most people are especially marketing agencies will do and and take any business for any reason and i think that i say no more than I say yes, because I'm advocating for you. I will never, ever, ever sell you anything, first of all. And I certainly will not charge you for something you don't need. I've done it twice, probably in the last two weeks, I've said no to people. I had a discovery call. I'm like, mm, I don't think this is the, the place where you want to put your money. Here's what I think you can do on your own that would still be impactful, that won't cost you a bunch of money. You know, but like, for example, right? Um, somebody wants to do direct or digital marketing campaign. They got $500 a month. It's not enough to make it impact and 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 fix the funnel on the other side. And there's a whole lot of things. And so a lot of marketing companies will just say, oh, I'll get you to the top of Google for whatever word you want. Wrong. Right. And then what is, where does all that traffic go? To a broken, janky website that wasn't ready to receive it. And they can't even qualify the leads or take action on them. So it's it's irresponsible, really. And and yes, we're definitely, we're, we're more of a no company. We're never going to sell you something that you don't need or can't use. Um, because I believe that the only real currency we have to work from is trust. Right. I really do believe that. Um, I'm a super impact driven person, not income driven. I mean, income is necessary and, you know, obviously, and we charge what, you know, we, we, we price based on value. Um, we do not compete on price, but we also have done this many times and we know what the value truly is. And we know what the impact is on your organization, big or small, and we're able to execute that time over time, over time. And it changes, it changes people's whole outlook on what they do. And, and it really helps them make better business decisions, easier, quicker. Right. Right. Exactly. And like I said, that, that's, that's very telling to, again, if you're willing to say no to somebody, it's because, well, number one, you understand your value. Number two, you have enough business in theory. And there's a per- reason why you have all that business is because you, what you provide is valuable enough to stand the test in time over so many businesses from so many various industries and so i like i said um kudos to you guys for for how, how you go about that i follow a lot of salespeople, and 99 percent of the sales strategies i see are direct sales are a direct like convincing you to purchase something whether or not you actually need it the whole idea is find the pain point oftentimes you're told create the pain point more than just find it yep make a situation like you know, I, and I, I have more to talk about, so I won't get too far on a tangent. But somebody I do kind of like is Andy Elliott, but he's very, very, very salesy. And one of the things he does when he, he mocks up like a sales pitch for life insurance is he creates a situation where you're on your deathbed in the last 30 seconds of your life. Yeah, of course, everybody's going to be there at one point or another. But to sell a 22-year-old on life insurance because in 65 years they're going to be on their deathbed – yeah, sure. I understand that you want to, you're trying to sell a product because it, it gets better over time. And that's the whole idea. But again, that that's a far fetched sales tactic versus just, just bringing the value that you know, you have without convincing somebody of some, you know, story that's going to scare them into a purchase. No, you know, and I, I, I agree with that. Um, and there's, there's a guy and it's a classic Jeffrey Ginnimer. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, but he talks about sales. There's, you know, I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you know 
everybody likes to buy, but nobody likes to be sold. Right. And so your job as a salesperson isn't to sell anything. It's to create the environment to buy. And in that case, sometimes you have to frame it around a scenario. Um, but so like there's, there's another book that's great called Presuasion, which I really love. Um, and it's about how you can, again, create the environment to buy. So a, a good use case is this, like if you had a landing page selling pillows and the background of that landing page had a bunch of, you know, angular shapes, right? Squares, triangles, whatever. Um, you'd sell less pillows than if they had circles because subconsciously we don't think that it's going to be as comfortable because of the shapes. So there's so much persuasion that you can put into your stuff. Um, that isn't, it isn't dark psychology or manipulation. It's just creating the environment to buy. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Giving, giving somebody not necessarily the purpose, but allowing their purpose to be met with, with solutions and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's interesting too, because like I said, a lot of people say at some point when, when you see like the dark side or the challenges of business and things like that, you get to a point where oftentimes you allow your integrity to fall and you just fall into that, that circle of doing the repetition and kind of what every other entrepreneur does. And so one of the things I'm interested to see is, I mean, you've been in in some sort of entrepreneurial field for 24 years. That's what you told me. And so you've, mm -hmm. you've been in it for long enough to understand or, or to, to, to have the temptation to drop your integrity, leave it aside and maybe do what produces more income or maybe do what, what hits the sales quota versus holding on to your integrity. What's been the reason that you've held on to that integrity this long? I think a big part of it and, and, and full disclosure, I haven't always been this, um, into, and it's not that I didn't have the integrity. It's just that I haven't, when I first started out, you know, my very first business, I probably took any business that I would get. I made the first, I made the same mistakes everyone does, but this is where I learned where the, where the positives and the negatives are. But ultimately what's carried me through is I have a commitment to my craft and I believe in best practices and I believe in the best way that things are supposed to be done. And I don't want to create garbage. I don't leave trash in my wake. I leave excellence in my wake. And so I, I've always had a commitment to my craft and no matter what it was, whether it was code, whether it was art, whether it was a fusion of the two, whether it was business, whether it was sales, whatever it was, um, and also just part of it also is, you know, stems to my, my personal journey and my upbringing where, you know, I did have an entrepreneurial household. However, my mother was not exactly the most ethical person and her entrepreneurial pursuits were mostly scams. I didn't know that when I was younger, I didn't know I was hawking raffle tickets for an invisible thing that didn't exist. I didn't know that, but I did get better at sales. I'll tell you that. Right. Right. I didn't know that I was, you know, I, when I was 16, I, I decided to be a telemarketer because I wanted to get Navy SEAL trained in, in rejection. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, cause back then we didn't have apps or, uh, you know, robust internet. We didn't have, we still worked off the phone book and I'm like, okay, if I could, we did barely even had cell phones. Um, and I, so I was like, if I can pick up a phone book and pick out any random name and get them to give me money over the phone, just based on my tone. I'm going to be unstoppable. 
And, you know, I wasn't the greatest, but I definitely wasn't the worst. And it definitely, you know, again, these little things that I've put into it um, helped me see the other side of, of how business is done. And I did not like it at all. And when I was, when I, when I got, you know, pulled back the curtain to what was going on, I was like, oh yeah, it just, it, with, with a lot of other things in, in, in my, my upbringing too, I decided, nope, I'm going to be the only one who ever in so far, the only one in my entire family line that has ever gone the other way. Um, and, and I've broken every generational cycle on my own back. Um, and it's, it's been a long journey, but it helps you, it helps you learn what not, to, what not to do is almost as valuable as what to do. Right. Yeah. And so I would say that that is what's, what's fueled me and pushed me forward all the way. And it's a commitment to my craft and it's the example of what not to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It pay, yeah. It paves both sides of the road. And so you stay in the middle and it creates that buffer, what to do and what not to do. And, um, uh, you know, it's interesting too, because like I said, it's, yeah, I, I think there's like two situations. You have people who were kind of brought up in that entrepreneurial um, household or, or just even maybe just surrounded by people, not in their family, but good friends and things like that who were entrepreneurs and had those families. And so they may see that people are kind of going about things unethical and start their businesses that way. You said that you didn't really even start your businesses that way. Maybe in the beginning you didn't have the this the same um, – confidence to tell somebody no and i'm interested to know do you think that it's more important to take the route you did in the beginning where you were like yeah i'll take any business learn what not to do or do you think from the get-go it's important for somebody starting out to say no up front and build that that brand based on that i mean i guess it depends on what you're trying to build are you trying to build a business or you just want to build a job for yourself because those are two very different things right um there's a book called The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Myth. And they talk about, you know, the technician and the manager and the, um, the CEO. And most people who start a business are the technician, the people who have the craft and they know what they're doing and they don't want to work for someone else. And then they want to start a business, but they have no business acumen. They have no business experience. They don't understand the risks and they're taking business risks on a job because ultimately you may be working for yourself, but you cannot walk away from that desk and still make money. That's not a business. That's a job. And that's okay. It's okay to have that. It's just know what you're doing so that you're not making big mistakes or taking big business risks on a job that you cannot scale, that is has no equity, that isn't something that you could sell or even pass down to your family, right? Nothing. It's just you behind a desk doing the work. And that's great. Or sometimes it's out in the field doing the work and that's totally fine. Just know what you're doing. So I don't know if I'm, if I'm getting on a tangent here. Um, can you just repeat the question one more time? Yeah. So in, in the beginning, is it important for somebody to kind of go through what you did where you allowed just anybody, you, you took any client in? Right. Or, or um, I mean, okay. If you're trying to build a business, and you're trying to really trying to learn how business works, I would say it is important to have boundaries always, always. It will always screw you always to take clients that you should never have taken that eat up too much of your time that don't want to pay that are a nightmare to work with. It will take, it will keep you from, from having the open space to accept the clients that are worth it. It might be a, and you know what business is a risk. And I get the appeal of, oh, it's money, it's money, it's money. But nobody really thinks about the lost opportunity cost of taking a trash client 
or taking someone who's toxic or taking somebody who doesn't have the money and just wants to lowball every little thing and kick every tire and just eat up all of your day. And I just got done, you know, closing a $48,000 deal. And it was something that's just over a course of 10 weeks. And these people I vetted and, you know, they're very responsive and it's very different, but I've had businesses where I just started them and I was like, oh, I'm going to take this job because I think this would be great. Three grand, four grand, but then they're a nightmare to work with. And then they push back on every little thing. And then that job takes two, three times more effort and time, which is the only thing you're really selling is your time. Um, and it takes so much more that it ends up, you end up losing money right. in the deal. So it wasn't worth it at all. And what did you learn? You learned not to do that again. I have fired clients and refunded everything at a loss because I saw that the loss would be greater if I kept them. And they were just getting back and forth and I was going out of my way. There was a language barrier. I was going out of my way to show up in person, having you know translators and the whole thing. And they were just so untrustworthy, not untrustworthy, untrusting of everyone. And you know, to be fair, they probably have been screwed over a bunch of times. But I was not that guy that was going to do that. I promise you, they didn't have people showing up in person with a translator. And I was like, I'm not going to handle this, right? Like, and I'd, I'd already done tons of work on my own. I had already had other vendors that I was paying. I paid my vendors because they did exactly what I asked them to do. This was something I had to do to get them off of my runway so I can land a bigger plane. Because right. you know, someone put it to me one time. You know, how can you? You've got all these big giant planes, you know, symbolizing big things in my life trying to land on your runway and you're filling them up with fancy cars. Get those cars out of there right? because you have no place to land these huge things. And that is the biggest lesson that you can learn from that. So I would say absolutely learn how to say no, learn how to qualify what business is good business and what business isn't. And it might take longer, but I promise you this either side of the coin is going to be hard and you're going to have struggle, but you're going to have a lot easier time if you say no more often than if you don't, you know, if you look at it, like on a chart, you know, you'll go, you'll go flat for a little while and then you'll go, Pew! but if you go the other way, you'll go up, down, up, down, up, down, and you'll never end up actually going anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. No. So that, that's cool too. Cause like I said, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of younger entrepreneurs who don't, who don't understand that opportunity cost. Exactly what you said. Like, is it worth it? Is it worth me taking on this client? Is it worth me dealing with the, you know, these kinds of customers here, or is, is it going to cost me more time or money or whatever the case may be? Is it going to cost more for me? And there's obviously something to be said for the, the experience that you get, right? Like if you take on a, a right. few of your early clients and you say, yeah, well, they may not be the best, but I'm certainly going to learn something from them. You know, that, that there's something to be said for that too. But I completely agree. I think, I think people will say no earlier on allows you to say no much easier as you grow and as you get more temptations that again are just at a higher level now now it's maybe 10 15 20 thousand dollar clients but you're more comfortable saying no because you've said it in the beginning when the perspective was the same yeah get five fifteen thousand dollar clients instead of 25 five thousand dollar clients and you'll be much happier and make more money um, but it's honestly, it's, it's about approaching this with a growth mindset and not a lack mindset. People that say yes to everything are in a lack mindset. They don't see the vision. They don't have a plan and they don't know what qualifies a good client or not. And they're always afraid they're not going to be able to pay the rent or do whatever, or, and I get it. It's a real, it's a real risk, but this is the risk of business. 
This is the ebb and flow of business. And that is what I'm saying. When people want a job for themselves that has no boss, which is also a fallacy, and we could talk about that for a second, um, they, they treat it like a business because there's this badge of honor that has been implied with a business ownership and entrepreneurship. But there's, these are not entrepreneurs. They're, they're job owners, right? And they say, oh, I'm, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm working for myself. First of all, that doesn't exist because when you stop working for a boss, now you're working for every person that you, that hires you. So now you, you trade one boss that actually has some qualifications to tell you what to do for a hundred people that have none. Right. Mm, that's interesting. And you don't yeah. see that, you know what I'm saying? And so you're never without a boss. Everybody has a boss. Even the CEO has a boss. The board has a boss and the board has to answer to the customer. It's a cycle. Everybody has a boss. There's no such thing as getting out of that. Right. Um, and then the other thing people don't understand is what the tax implications are for these things, right? You make a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to pay 30%. Minimum. There's a 30% tax bracket. It's 15% for your normal, right? And then another 15% for your extra, you know, FICA and all the other stuff that you got to pay because you're not paying into that system. They find a way 30%. And that's, that's if you, you know, like, that's on average. I mean, it, it ranges, but 30%. Yeah. If you're, if you're an LLC. Oh yeah. And people think, oh, I'm an LLC. And it's like, whatever. But they, and then they, and then at the end of the year, they're like, oh, what do you mean? I owe you $30,000. Right. Yeah. It's, um, this is going to be the first year I'm filing as an LLC. Um, so it's not going to be fun. I'm not, not excited for no. it. No. And you know what? Like we are an S corp and an S corp is a much bigger, a bigger corporation with better tax, uh, rules kind of, you know, like I have a W2, my partner and all of our staff have a W2. So we pay our taxes like a normal person, but then the business still makes profit and that profit needs to have tax. And that tax is a different tax, but, but the S corp is, is, is better than the LLC when you get bigger because of that right. reason. And there's a lot of things you can do. Um, an LLC is basically still tied to your social. Yeah. And ultimately it's all just you. So if you made $100,000 in a W-2 and $100,000 in your LLC, it's going to the same, it's going on the same line basically yeah. in the thing. It's not, you know, it's different when you have an S, a, a, an S corp or a C corp. Um, but the, the, the thing about the, the C corp, I think, and, and I might be wrong about this, but I, I believe you need a board of directors and there's shares involved with the C corp, which is a lot more of a headache. Yeah. The S corp is not required that, but, um, Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of different structures, but one of the things that I did want to, want to kind of pick your brain on was those, those 10 past businesses, because what, what you were telling me is that you have obviously you have no problem telling clients, no, you have no problem, you know, kind of weeding out and setting up those boundaries and understanding when to drop a client ahead of time. Maybe when, you know, they're writing you checks now, but you can see in the future that it's that the opportunity cost is going to be higher. That's knowing when, when to quit. Not take a failure, but knowing when to quit. So you've had 10 businesses and you said seven have shut down. Not necessarily all of them uh, in terms of not doing well, but you have shut down seven out of those 10. And so you have a great mm -hmm. eye for knowing when to quit. And I use quit with the best connotation possible, knowing when mm -hmm. to move on to the next best thing. What is it in, in you that has, that has directed you, has been that guide to understanding when to, when to quit something? I mean, 
I guess I've just, I've been very analytical and logic based my whole life. And so I just assess, right? So here's a couple and, and they, they all didn't fail in the way that I, I couldn't make them work. Some of them were just, some of them were just a bad idea. Right. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Right. right. Some of them, one of them I can, I can say was wrong time, wrong, wrong place. I did not have the technology in the world and the ecosystem to, to facilitate the thing I was trying to do. I basically, I, I, this is a bold claim, but I'm pretty sure I invented Yelp before Yelp came out. It was called, it was called search and dine. And I had the whole thing built and it was, it had ad placements and it was, had the whole thing. And it was for restaurants only. And it was a directory for new England restaurants. And, um, I was working out deals with the, you know, Massachusetts and the New Hampshire restaurant association to get, because at the time you could not find menus or websites for any restaurant and a website knowing, you know, having a, a agency or having working in the industry, I knew that they were costly for these, for these thin margin businesses. So again, an analyzing and finding a need that one I think was ahead of its time because we didn't have the ability to plug into a database of any kind and find out exactly which businesses were open or closed. So I literally hired people to go through every magazine, every newspaper, everything they could find to manually update the database. And it was just unsustainable. Right. So I, you know, and I've always been an idea guy. I've got a lot of ideas. I've got an invention I'm trying to patent right now. Um, but that was one of them. And then other, you know, there was other ones that I just thought were funny and I knew I could make money off of them. Like I had a t-shirt company called hilarities. I loved that one, but I did, I'd, I'd primarily worked only in service, like service-based businesses. And that was my first product-based business. And I failed to realize what it took to like the overhead for a product-based business, um, was totally different. I mean, a lot of people start the service because it's, you're the, you're the product, right? And so you don't have to buy that and there's very low overhead and essentially very high profit margin. Um, so long as that you pay yourself and understand that after paying you is where profit happens. Not every dollar you make is profit. Right. No. After paying your time, if you still have some left over, that's profit. Um, so again, just all these little things. Um, and then, so I just, I figured, I just figured, so like I had another agency called Viva La Pixel. That was my, that was my agency I had for about 10 years. And I saw also a change in the market where websites were becoming a commodity. They were not special. They were easy. You had your Wix, you had your WordPress, you had all these things where you could just drag and drop something for $300. And the value of what we were trying to do was not, was contaminated in the market. So it was getting harder to sell harder to maintain. Um, it was in, in, and I had a bunch of people on my, on my, you know, under me that I was just managing and I was chasing money and selling. And that's not what I wanted to do. I was still kind of a little bit in technician mode, unknowing at the time, but that's what it was. And I really wanted to still do the work because I really loved the work, which is what starts the whole thing. Um, but I was having kids and I was seeing how much time this was taking out of my life to do things that weren't even lighting me up or, or adding or filling my cup at all. I, I was looking at the market and I was saying, Hey, this is becoming a commodity. I've got to find a way to position or pivot myself somehow, or I have to close the business. And so I set a firm boundary in the line. I said, okay, you know what? I'm approaching the 10 year mark. If I don't have X, Y, Z in place by this exact date, I'm going to close it and sell the assets. Mm -hmm. And 
it didn't happen. I was, I was like probably $50,000 still chasing all that money and people were, you know, and it's just like, when you get to these small claim things, it's very rarely worth your time because even if you win in court, they could have not, they, they don't have the money to pay you. They could be sentenced to pay you $5 a month for the rest of time, right. worthless, you know, and it just all that time and lost opportunity cost of fighting this, you know, you've got to think where's, where's the value here. And, and I'm, there's, there's some people that probably know more about this that would argue with me and I'm happy to hear it. Um, because one of the things that I think is an asset in my mind is that I'm always willing to be wrong. I, I truly believe that if you walk into a room, believing you're the smartest person in the room, that's the same second that you become the dumbest because you stopped listening. Yeah. And I try never, ever to be the smartest person in the room, whether people see me as that is irrelevant. Right. You know, I never try to operate that way because I'm not listening. And so I ha I'll have strong convictions, but I'm always open to new information which is where it has also gotten me here is that I never, ever thought, even if I was super successful and I got all the awards in the world and all the accolades, I'd still find room for error. And I'm always looking for, cause it's, I'm committed to the craft at the end of the day. And I want to, I want to either develop best practices or follow them. And I certainly don't want to make garbage. Um, so, so those are just a couple of businesses, right? So like another one, um, the three that I think were the most successful was the, the agency that lasted 10 years. Um, let's see, I started a branding only brand strategy business and I, and I scaled that to over six figures in less than eight months. And that was the fastest I've ever done it ever, ever. And any, and that was the most recent. And, and that one is one that I actually merged into. Cause what I did is I saw, I know what it was like to build an agency and I didn't want another one. Um, but I also knew that all this strategy and planning needed an execution shop and I kept crossing paths with another company all the time, Pivot. And so we decided after a long period of lawyers and legal and fact checking and all this and all the due diligence um, to merge because I built a product. I built something that perfectly Lego brick fits into it, every agency and creative. And I did that on purpose because I studied the market and found the gap and I filled it. That's the key. So that one was ultra successful. My CBD business, I couldn't scale it because of how I, because of the, the brand that I created had integrity and I would not compromise that integrity to scale the business. So I said, okay, well, I'm merging into this other business because I had that at the same time. And, but I scaled it 30 X through COVID. So in a way, in a place where you can't sell it in stores and you can't talk about it and can't even get a business account, I'm calling that a win. Yeah. Um, cannabis and COVID. What was I thinking? <laughs> and I decided to make my own brand, not even sell someone else's. So, but I positioned it in that you'll never see it in a smoke shop or a gas station, which is the only place you could really buy it because of high risk payment processing and all these other compliances. And they were already selling alcohol and cigarettes and they were already covered. So, but that was also where most people thought they were buying trash. So I right. positioned myself against it because I studied the market and I filled the gap and I was able to, with just my website and word of mouth, scale it 30 X through COVID unbelievable. So. It's, if anything, I don't feel like the, and I, I decided to close that because I knew I, what it was going to take to, to scale it was to put it in smoke shops and gas stations. And I will not do it. Right. I will not do it. Um, and I will, I, I just won't compromise my integrity ever. Um, so there's things like that. What else have I done? Um, I don't know. There's a bunch, you know, like the, the beginning ones where, you know, in college, I actually wanted to see how business worked. So I started a business theoretically because I actually went to, I was in Endicott uh, College in Beverly, Mass. And I went to 
Boston and I registered an LLC. I wanted to see all the process and how all the pieces and parts worked because I had a minor in business and a major in, uh, in like design. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's the kind of things that I would do to figure out how things worked. Right. And so all of these pieces and parts, I guess it all boils down to, to doing the research, even if it's just a tiny bit, figure out where the gaps are, figure out, you know, how, how things work so that when you're trying to make business decisions or strategic decisions, you have something to go by and not just a gut feeling because a lot of people are going by gut and what they like and what they want. And there's a lot of coaches out there pushing, uh, you know, you can do it. Everybody can do it. You know what? Maybe, but it's not for everyone. You have to have a really thick skin and a, and a pretty harsh dis disposition to be able to withstand the ebbs and flows of business if it's truly a business. And most people who have a job that they've created for themselves have no idea how to run the business. And then that gets in the way. So it gets neglected and then it causes trouble and then it folds because it cannibalizes itself right. and it's inevitable. Right. Just like kind of like we were talking about earlier with, with the give, 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 ask. It's the same. It's, it's fail, 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 win. And you know, yeah. it, it's, it's obviously, obviously mo most of the time you're going to post about your wins, especially if you're in a service business, you certainly don't want to be going around posting about your losses. So you kind of enter. I disagree. Oh, all right. The, I, dis I disagree. Um, because I feel like I can't trust a business person mm -hmm. if they've never failed in business before. Mm -hmm. First of all, Fair, yeah. second of all, I think that it's a true measurement of integrity and, and, and capability of a business when they tell you what happens and how they responded when, when things went wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, n it's not so much about, Oh, I'm the winner and I'm, I'm an, and you know, I'm, I'm undefeated or whatever, but what happened when, 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 you know, the, the S hit the fan, how did you respond? How did you handle that? What was the outcome of that? Show me that because you know what? Problems are inevitable. Things can happen. I had one, it was the, it was the scariest thing in my life where the FBI got involved because I made a huge mistake in my business a long, 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 long time ago. Um, like we're talking probably 17 years ago, maybe 18 years ago. Um, and it was in the beginning, like the first three or four years of my other agency. And I had hired a contractor to do a database and it was for a nanny agency and the database was not protected. And I did not know that. And so what that meant was when, when you have an agency, you've got you got all of these things called PII, personally identifiable information, your, your phone numbers, your address, your social security number, your name, your everything that was getting picked up in Google search results. Oh, wow. So now, because there was social security numbers involved, the FBI was calling, I had to get involved with Google. Almost all these parents of these nannies were lawyers. And so that was hot. And I was like, oh man. And even though it wasn't my fault. I didn't not secure it. It was my responsibility. Right. And there's a big difference, right? Like it doesn't matter whose fault it was. It was my responsibility to fix it and my responsibility to take the heat. And I did let that person go, but that didn't fix anything. Right. <laughs> and right. luckily, luckily we got Google to respond quick enough and everybody backed off and nothing really happened, but it was scary. And you make big mistakes when you don't even think you're doing it, right? You don't even know they could happen. So show me what happens when mistakes happen. Right. And, and that's going to be a, a more measurement of your constitution than telling me all about all your wins. Right. Yeah. It's kind of it reminds me of um, Patrick Bet David's book, your next five moves, like, like showing 
like, like you gave a perfect example right there, showing that you understand. Well, number one, I guess in that situation to be, you know, it, it was your responsibility. And so in theory, you kind of lacked that scope of, of the vision forward. Like, oh, what could happen in five moves? What could happen? Could this database get leaked? Things like that. So, but, you know, also it by showing your losses, you explain to people your next five moves. What are your next five moves after, after you know, like you said, crap, it's a fan. Like if something goes south, what is it that you, what steps are you going to take as an agency or just as a service provider by, you know, in, in any industry, what steps are you going to take to make that wrong? Right. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. You changed my perspective there a little bit. Um, obviously if you're, a, it's, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say it's, it's easy to sail in the ocean when the sea is calm. But I don't care about a captain that can calm sea, you know, that can sail in the calm seas. I want to know a captain that has been in the in the in the storms right. that can get me back home safely if things turn, because it's always possible. And I don't care if you're, you know, like great, good for you. You can do, you, you know, you're a skipper or whatever, and you've done it, you know, back and forth to the island across the bay or something. But show me ocean time, you know, like I want to see that this person can handle it if we need you. That's what we're really hiring you for is to be able to respond with confidence and experience in the storm. Right. Yeah. I, I like that. That, that kind of, yeah, that changed my perspective a little bit too. And, you know, I get, I guess as somebody who says that they're integrity driven and transparent and honest, um, I should start implementing that a little bit more too. Um, you know, being more transparent through the wins and the losses, because it's not a matter of embarrassment. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, learning, uh, like telling people the lessons that you learn on a day-to-day -day basis. So they understand that, you know, you, you have dealt with the things that their business may deal with. And like you said, you are the captain that can sail through the storm because you are learning those, you know, all, all the crap that can come your way and, and how to get over it in those next three, four, five steps. Whatever you did for that company, you can do for theirs too if the same thing happens. Right. And failure is a gift. Defeat is a choice. But failure is an absolute gift. If you tell me that you want to work with me and you've only won in your life, you've got no experience. Right. You've, you've grown 0%. Because you grow, you don't grow going through the motions and, and always having calm seas, you zero, zero percent growth. Right. But if you failed and you recovered and you still prospered, nobody, you know, I mean, think about any story you've ever heard. Do you want to hear the story of somebody who's never had any adversity and still won? Nope. But every hero of every story starts in the mud. Right. And they find their way out. And that's why we're compelled. Because nobody cares if you're a winner, like like nobody like like Donald Trump, you know, love him or hate him, he's never really had any adversity in his life. He was handed a whole bunch of money in a family that already made it, and then he lost a bunch of money, right? They say they say hard times make strong people, strong people make soft, you know, easy times, easy times make soft people, soft people make hard times, and then the loop continues and right. continues and continues, and he's he doesn't, you know, it, it's a false sense of success because it was handed. Right. And so I think a lot of times he probably had a lot of troubles because he didn't have any failures to learn from. Right. Yeah, and that's a question I wanted to ask you too. I know we only have a couple more minutes, so uh, I'm not going to take too much of that time. But one question I, I do have in, in that regard is, do you think that it's smart for somebody who, and I'll just use myself as a quick example, because 
I'm, I'll be very honest. I haven't faced a whole lot of adversity. I mean, I've faced the breakthrough into real estate at a young age, which is, you know, fairly difficult um, to get into such an expensive business. But other than that, there hasn't been much adversity. Do you think it's wise to curate adversity to artificially create issues? All day. Okay. All day. And here's the thing. I wake up every morning at 4.30 and I go to the gym. Do I want to? Is that my favorite part of the day? Give or take, right? It's the, 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 the act of getting up early with less sleep and doing the hard work, not my favorite. The feeling that I get afterward is great, but I'm not just strengthening my body. It's the adversity of doing something that is hard no matter what is strengthening my body, my mind, and my soul. It is critical. It is critical. I just said, I jumped into a telemarketing gig to manufacture adversity so that I can be Navy SEAL trained. They put you in boot camp to manufacture adversity and you go through tough to get tougher. Right. They don't they don't they don't have a you know military tea party. It's a boot camp that most people will quit. Right. You know? And then you want to go to the next level, it's the SEALs. And you know what? It's even but but when you're af when you when you complete the task and you have achieved what you want to achieve, there's nothing like it. But ultimately that adversity builds your body and mind and soul. Right. And that is more important than any talent that you have is that is, is because consistency and discipline will beat talent 1000 times out of 1000. Yeah. You can be all the talent in the world, but you don't have consistency and you don't have discipline. It's not, it's wasted on you. Right. And, and, and so yes, absolutely manufacture adversity, go, you know, like get outside your comfort zone all the time, all the time and learn from your mistakes. Like the other day, here's a great lesson. Okay. A lot of people would probably have quit the game when I'm going to tell you this. Okay. I was playing chess with my 11 year old daughter and I made the mistake of playing her like an 11 year old. And in three moves, she took my queen. Now I could have been like, screw this game. I just lost my queen. There's no way I can get out of this. Or I could embrace the adversity and be like, Ooh, here's a challenge. Here's a challenge that's really gonna, and I, and I, you know, I stopped playing her like the 11 year old. And now she's got a tougher opponent to learn from. Right. And so, but, but also I, I live for the days that that 4.30 in the morning alarm gets up and I'm sick and I'm tired and I didn't get enough sleep and I've, and I'm sore. I live for those days because those days are the days you have to show up twice as much right. because those are the days that build your body and mind and soul, not just your body. And it's not about going to the gym for any kind of vanity. It's yeah, it's health, but it's more about doing the hard things every day. Like you, like Mike Dyson says, you got to do the things that you hate, like you love them. Right. Right. And that's what builds that character. That is what will carry you. So absolutely 1000% manufacture adversity. I mean, don't, don't do it to a fault, you know, like right. don't go drink and drive so you can figure out if you can pull it <laughs> off, you know, yeah, yeah, like that's not what I mean, you know, but be con like I, and when I come back, cause I do, I, when I go to the gym, I go to hot sauna workouts. So I'm working out in a sauna at 125 degrees. I'm talking about manufacturing adversity. And you know what I do when I come home after my shower, I take a cold shower for as long as humanly possible. And again, manufacturing adversity, but also because I heard that you could do cocaine and it's like an hour and a half of dopamine, but you take a cold bath or a cold shower and it's like four hours. It's <laughs> right. four hours of dopamine, I right? And it's that. much cheaper, I'm sure. I got to start that. But yeah. 
But I'm, you know what? And you know what? Just suck it up. It's going to suck. It's going to suck at first, but eat it. Eat it like it's just your greatest gift. Eat the suck and just know that it's fueling your champion, yeah. you know? Because I refuse defeat. I just refuse defeat. Right. I don't, I don't win all the time, but I refuse defeat. Right. Yeah, two are very different. Yeah, not winning at something and, and being defeated. Def I, yeah, I, I mean, I, th I, I would say I would say everything that you just said is great. The, the manufacturing, the adversity, because I, I don't think that you can necessarily be defeated when you put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. Because even if you, quote unquote, fail, the defeat, I think, comes from when something's thrown at you that you're not expecting and you fail. But when you manufacture it yourself and fail, I don't look at that as defeat. I look at that more or more as just a, you know, kind of. I, I would disagree on that. And, and I would say that failure in any sense is a gift, mm -hmm. whether you manufactured the adversity or it happened out of nowhere. Failure is a gift. I did not expect to lose my queen to my 11 year old daughter. <laughs> right. I didn't. No, I really didn't. And so now I had the opportunity to beat someone without my queen. Right. And that taught me how to be better at chess. Right. And who would have thought that my 11 year old would have taught me how to be better at chess when I'm clearly better than her, but I was playing her like an 11 year old and that's the mistake that I made. Right. Right. But you learn from your mistakes. I was talking to somebody the other day who made a vision board for themselves and I'm a very big, big believer in the vision board, you know, like visualize what you want in life and never forget and just be on the pursuit. But they, they were, they took it off the wall or whatever, because they weren't sure if it was the right thing or they weren't happy with it. And I'm like, and they, they felt like they failed and it was a waste of time. I'm like, no, it wasn't a waste of time. Now you've got a very clear definition of what you don't want. Right. How valuable is that? Right. So don't think about it like a failure just because it didn't win. And this, you know, it's all of this stuff is programmed into our minds because of school and the grades and everything, you know, like your value is based on an A and all this other stuff. I've never bought into any of that, but, but failure is absolutely a gift and it's inevitable and embrace it, manufacture, you know, the hard times if you can, um, you know, not to a fault and not to a toxic way, you know, but I mean, cold showers, hot saunas, four 30 in the morning. I used to get up at five and I'm like, you know what? Five is for the, is for the lazy. I'm going to be a badass and I'm going to get up at four 30. Right. Because when you're yeah. still sleeping at five, I'm winning. Right. Right. Like I'm not Mark Wahlberg burging at, at 3 AM, you know, <laughs> yeah. but that's a little obsessive, but you know, I still got, I don't want to go to bed at 5 PM. You know, like I got, I still right. want to have some sort of balance because it's also in the pursuit of balance. So all of these things that I'm doing are try are, 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 I'm carefully keeping the balance and not tipping one side over the other. Right. And, and even if I'm tired or sick, the hot sauna thing is great because it manufactures a, um, a, a false fever in your body, which, which produces white blood cells and just eats away all the poison in your body. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you actually, like this morning, I burned 750 calories in one session for 45 minutes. I would have to run seven miles straight yeah, wow. in the hot Sahara desert for that to happen, you know? And so you get, it's more efficient. So I just try to use my time as wisely as humanly possible. I, I don't ever stray away from conflict or adversity. I try to, like my kids, I make them, I'm, I made them sign a, a, a written contract for screen time when most people get it all the time. No, I think that's poisoning your brain. Mm -hmm. Nope. You get two hours a day. And if you want more, you can have as much screen time as you want. And this is how you get it. You get one minute for every minute you exercise. 
you get one, and then you get a certain amount for certain chores. And the chores that don't count are cleaning up after yourself and picking up your room. Nope, that's just a responsibility. And then the first thing they do in the morning, you have the first first hour of the morning, um, you're not allowed to look at a screen because it's not good for your brain. Right. It's just not scientifically proven. And so I make them do like a micro chore, contribute to the household. And that doesn't count towards your other thing either. And you know what? It has worked beautifully. They fight over who gets to clean the toilets. <laughs> and now it's true. I, could, I had no idea. Um, and I wrote it all out. I made them sign it. And I said, you know what? If we ever have a question about it, now it's in writing. Right. This is a legit contract. This is a commitment you're making. There's so many teachable moments here. And it's manufacturing adversity for them because in the world that we live in, the whole narrative of almost every place is lower the bar, lower the bar, right. lower the bar, make it easier, make it less friction, meh, 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 meh. And you're killing us. Mm -hmm. You're destroying humanity and you're making a bunch of powder puff sheep that that cry and whine and are entitled to things because they no all of that is 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 been manufactured by this weakness that we put in this society because everybody's lowering the bar no child left behind all this other stuff no let a kid stay back right let it sting let it sting yep tell me that won't be a motivator that kid will be valedictorian in high school i promise you absolutely agree but you, you keep pushing them along and you see teachers now on, on social media say, I've got sixth graders that read into the fourth grade level. How'd they even get here? Mm -hmm. Yep. No child left behind has turned into every child left behind. Right. Because you're not advocating. You're, again, it goes right back to the beginning of what I said. The integrity of being confident with saying no. Right. Say no to these children. No, you cannot pass this grade. No. Now my kids tell me, oh, I can redo the test and the homework as many times as I want to get the grade that I want. Mm -hmm. And you know why that is my assumption. And I think this is founded, but I don't, don't, you know, this is not facts that I can back up right now, but it's because teachers are measured by the grade average of their classroom. And so if they can tweak the curve in any way, then they get more funding, they get whatever, they get more accolades at the cost of our nation's youth. Mm -hmm. And if I had the capacity and the, and the ability to homeschool my children, I would, I would rip them right out of that trash place. And they're in a great school. They're in a great school for the area, mm -hmm. but it's still based on like, I think in Texas, there's like 20 people that decide what all textbooks can say and what all things, and we're learning history. I mean, they're still celebrating Columbus day for crying out loud. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, the history is very one-sided. Right. You know, they're not learning the scope, full scope. And I tell my kids also, I said, listen, with the exception of brush your teeth, this is your bedtime, do your homework, you know, the fundamentals, question everything. Mm -hmm. If I say, even if I say, hey, I'm an anti-vaxxer and I don't believe in vaccinations. Okay, this is what I believe now based on the information I have. But like I said before, I'm willing to be wrong. Right. And don't just take my word for it. How I made my conclusion is I took several words for it and I made my own connection. Right. Be a free thinker and don't just assume. I mean, and I got in so much trouble in, in, in school because I would always say, just because you're the teacher doesn't mean you know the answer. Absolutely. Always. Absolutely. Always. And I didn't even know the whole constant, you know, the, the situation where most of them, especially in, in you know, your, your elementary school, they are not taught anything except for how to teach you what they're told to teach you. Mm -hmm. They're taught how to teach. They're not taught the subject. Right. 
the subject gets fed to them from somewhere. And that's by design, right? and I think, too. I, I think so, because it would it's probably easier to to ha to hire and fire yeah. when you don't have specialists. Exactly. Um, but when you start getting into, you know, your high school and your college, um, you start getting people like high school are people that were trained in the, in the skill and college are most of the times people that were worked and trained right. in the real world. Right. And so you're 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 at least getting up there where people have had real world experience. But the but the foundational elements of your education are based on people that are told to tell you things. And that's how they're measured. Did you tell them this? Yes, I did. Did they remember it? Uh-huh. A plus teacher. Right. right. Yeah. It, yeah. Nope. Nope. And, and I completely <laughs> agree. Free, free thinkers are, no, are 100% most important above all. And I think that that's what we lack in the very, very fundamental, um, you know, portion of society. By design. By, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. By design. Yeah. I think that those mm -hmm. teachers are, they're, t they're, too much of their time is filled up learning how to be the phone to the children where they can't actually teach what they would like to teach or or teach their perspectives on it. Not necessarily saying that every teacher's or any teacher's perspective and opinion should be put forth to an elementary school kid. But at the end of the day, I mean, you'd rather have their style and, you know, they have a they have a better idea of how the kids are. They understand the kids. They understand their class. So they're the they could kind of change how they teach a certain subject to kids based on the group of kids that they know and how they perceive, how they receive information. I mean, and that's, that's an important skill to know is how to get that information in them. It's true. It's the information that they're given to, to, to implant into everybody that is questionable to me. Right. You know, um, I think math is one of the only real like math, art, music, um, health is, borderline health you can't have a health class and then go send them to lunch with all the garbage food that right, you give them right filled with all the trash you know what i'm seeing like if you if you ever see the difference between our public school lunches and like france or germany or any just regular not private school they have real food on the plate a balanced healthy diet the kids are okay with eating because they're not conditioned to eating garbage that isn't even real food it's made in the lab right and and the other thing is is you know, I don't know how old you are, um, but I'm assuming that I'm way older. Um, so like we didn't have cell phones in, in school, right? They just didn't exist. We weren't even barely allowed to have calculators. When a calculator watch came out and I had one because I was a nerd, uh, I got in trouble for it because now I could cheat, right? But now my kids are allowed to have their phone anytime. Yep. They all have laptops. And, and my, my son told me the other day, um, we have a substitute teacher in history class and all he does is tell us stories. And I'm like, so he's telling you his personal history then. then that's all you're learning is his personal history. That's great. Um, he goes, well, I still have an A in the class. And I'm like, and that's my point. Right. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. They learn that, nothing. of. Substance. That's exactly my point. Nothing of substance. Right. You, you have an A in the class and they're teaching you nothing. And he says also that he found a way around the school security so he can play Roblox on his laptop. And, and I'm like, okay, so here's the thing. In my, in my day, which, which I'm not saying that school was any better, but we had less distractions, mm -hmm. right? They have phones all the time. They have video games and all this other stuff. They're playing Roblox in class. Like we had to focus whether we had ADD or not, it's making it worse. The garbage food, the constant interruptions in there. Like if you ever looked at a study about the con the, the cost of a context switch, right? Our task switch. So like, say you're focused for 20 minutes on something and you take five seconds to, to answer a question or somebody jumps into your office, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get back to where you were. Right. 
there's a huge cost, right? In that, right? And 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 there's more data on that. Um, and I know we're going a little over, but I'm okay with it if you are. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so there's a huge problem with the context switching, and that's all they get. TikTok is nothing but context switch. It's idea after concept after idea. I mean, it's like back in the day, we used to flip channels because we had 50. You know, now we've got 3,000 and unlimited streaming and you don't have any exclusivity or no value to anything because there was no such thing as Saturday morning cartoons. There's Cartoon Network 24 seven. Right. So we have fond memories of being waiting for those awesome cartoons on Saturday morning and watching those things and eating the garbage cereal and all the other stuff that probably, you know, happened because, you know, it's just, it's a way of the American life, unfortunately. But you got to take the red pill eventually. Right. You know, I think the red, that's the right term, yeah. right? The red pill keeps, you know, gets you out of the matrix. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to instill in my kids is I get it. You know, everyone around you is telling you this and it's tempting to believe the masses. It's tempting to believe what you hear everywhere else, but I'm just saying, don't even believe me, but, you know, with the exception of a few things, right. you know, but do your own research and make your own conclusions. I feel the same way about religion. Religion was a mechanism passed down from generation to generation through guilt. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there was a certain generation that just, you know, I'm sure that it, where it started, but like 300 generations later, you know, mom and dad are Catholic. So now my kids are Catholic. My kids didn't even have a choice. They didn't even get a chance to see what the others were. Right. Right. And, and so then they, then they get guilted into, oh, you're not going to go to church. Even if it's fundamentally against their beliefs as they grow into a human being, it doesn't matter because the guilt from the previous generation is purveying pervasive through this whole thing and it's pushing it down the line which is i'm very convinced is by design Mm -hmm. because because church and school is just a mechanism of control yep yeah right and and there's a spiritual connection i get i I don't disagree with that but but you can't tell me that one religion is better than the other when there's at least 300 and every religion has people that would die for it well that's exactly it and and the thing is too again if if it were if if all religions were so geared towards providing value to people, there would be no religious wars. They're more concerned with with which one of theirs is correct and how many people back them in their belief than they are whether or not the beliefs they're actually pushing are valuable to society or not, which is why I've, I've always said I think that ch- separation of church and state is like m- the most essential because I think that it's, it's you know, as, as great as religion can be, I think it's very flawed in so many areas. And I think that, you know, if, if you read any of the scriptures, you may get some very good value out of them. I do think there's a lot of good value in them. But if you read them as logical scriptures and not some guidebook to live by, because I think this pieces that you can pick from every religion that would curate an amazing life. And I think it's important to be more um, more bird's eye, for lack of a better term, on religion than hone in on one specific one and be a fan of it. Yeah, I agree. And I've tried a bunch. I've tried Catholicism. I've tried universal. I've tried, uh, Baptist. I tried a few. Um, and I just, no matter what, I just can't get behind it because the messaging always boils down to the same thing. Convince me to comply with a belief system that I can't wrap my head around as logical. Right. And it's, and here's the thing. I get it. It feels great to let Jesus take the wheel. It feels great to be, because that's why it's great to be a kid because you don't have to worry about anything. Right. Well, I mean, on average kids don't have to worry about anything. I wasn't one of those kids and there's lots of other kids out there that are you know struggling, but 
it's great to feel like you're taken care of. And when you're an adult, it's scary. And of course it feels good to believe that God has a plan, whatever God you believe in. And that, you know, everything is this, that, this. And it's like, and I think that's again, just leaning in on how we operate as, as, a, as a meat computer, you know, with a survivor thrive, going back to the beginning. Um, and it's a powerful belief because if you believe, but perception is reality, right? That's how marketing works. That's how branding works. That's how religion works. If you, if you truly believe you're going to hell, you're going to do whatever it takes to stay away. Right. Right. But then there's certain rules in certain, in certain religions that are so contradictory. You know, one of them, you can sin all your life until the very last minute and just say, just kidding. I was sorry. And you're back. You're in heaven. Other ones you have to atone all the time. And other ones are you just like, there's just other ones. You can't even eat a certain animal because it's related to a certain thing. And there's so many variations of this that how can I subscribe to one and really believe in it fully? Right. When people will die for each one of their religions and most wars were started by religion. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and to, to some degree still are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For, 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 to a large degree still are. Right. Um, and I think that there's a place for everybody, but I just think that if you subscribe to anything so completely and exclusively, and exclusively, you are becoming the stu the dumbest person in the room, like full circle, right? Because you stopped listening right. to other possible ways. You're just following now. And following is great because it feels great because it's easy and it's lowering the bar to life. Mm -hmm. It's taking a big thing off of your shoulders. Oh, wow. I don't have to worry about this because God's got a plan. I don't have to plan because God's got a plan. And whatever happens to me isn't a problem that I need to fix. It's just part of God's plan. Right. You know? And so... It's, it's just interesting how the mind works and how people work. And when you work in marketing, you see how, how people operate as like hardwired and you just see that you just see the connections. And, and I don't, I don't believe in, I'm, I'm more agnostic. I'm not an atheist. You know, I don't believe that there is one for me, but I don't also don't know which one it is, but I do believe that there's a, a spiritual piece of your body that needs to be nurtured. And it's the completion of yourself. Um, whether religion is the place to find it is up for debate for me. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, that's an interesting take. I, I like, I like that. Yeah. Cause it's, again, it's, it's, it's not saying that there's nothing and it's not saying that there's, there's no basis for humanity whatsoever and, and what's morally just and what's unjust and things like that. But it is acknowledging the fact that like, again, there, to me, there, there are a bunch of moral encyclopedias and they vary from one another but at the end of the day, they all have commonality and they all have differences. And it's up to us to read through each one and understand the basis, but more so understand the which part resonates with you, you know, in the Quran and maybe which one resonates with you in the Bible. What Which portion of what resonates and put it together into your book? Because if we're all spiritual human beings, then the reality is the books are just the basis for each version of spirituality and you get to create your own because you're unique. You take from all of those and you create your own. And if you're doing good things in the world and you're, and you're not hurting anyone, who cares which religion you belong to? Right. Right. Like, and even, and I think being an atheist is, is equally dangerous as subscribing wholly and exclusively to one faith, because now you're still not listening. Right. Your faith is now no faith. 
and I, being agnostic again, I'm just trying not to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> right. No, that's and and that's respectable. Very respectable. Yeah. So I'm 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 glad we agree on that. You you put that beautifully. I think that a lot of people will understand that. Um, awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to ask me today? There's one more thing that I do. It's a tradition on here and I'd love you be part of it as well. I just asked the last guest to leave a question for the next guest. Um, and all, and all I ask is that the way that you ask the next question, you don't know who the guest is, to be honest, I don't even know who it is yet. So it just has to, the way they answer just has to bring out value to somebody else. Um, the younger entrepreneur audience that I have, um, but it can be about anything. So the last guest asked, what have you done well in the last 12 months that propels the next 12 months? That's a great question. Um, I would say continuing to participate in these activities that strengthen my body, mind, and soul equally, surrounding myself with the right people and learning who those people are and really having firm boundaries that I'm comfortable with to the people that I don't want to be, you know, the, what, what do they say? You hang around five stupid people, you'll be the sixth. Yep. Yep. You know? And, and so, so I just try to find the right people to align myself with. Um, and honestly, I practice trying to be the example for everyone, for anyone, for my kids, for anyone that, that, you know, because, you know, on another time, another channel, we could talk about my, my upbringing, but you know, I never had any, and I, I was, I was very much left for, you know, on my own all the time. And I had no examples, but bad examples. And I could have easily followed them blindly, not knowing, but I've always questioned the answers, whether it got me in trouble or not. Right. So I would say that, that those are the three things surrounding myself with the right people, continuously participating in the hard things to build my mind, body, and soul, because that consistency is going to build skill, which builds a lifestyle, which gets results. Right. And, and, and it's about being the example because that to me fills my cup. And, and, you know, a long time ago, I realized, I remember, you know, in, in some of the darker times of my life, I asked myself, why, why do I have nothing when I give so much? And then I realized it's because, I give everything, right? I give it all away. That's why I have nothing. Cause I keep giving it all away. And I kept aligning myself with takers and they would just suck me dry. And right. so learning from those lessons, this is what's helped me propel the next 12, 24, 36, 48 months, hopefully the rest of my life. Yeah. Cause this is a practice worth continuing. Absolutely. It's timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, being an example for other people, in in every facet of your life that's a natural born leader in my eyes natural born leader is somebody who's willing to do the things that they expect out of other people not only mentoring them but again doing it as the example showing them how to do it versus yeah you know just being that phone that just kind of spews information that you believe is going to curate a good life right and i tell my son i'm like listen we're going to the gym today but i'm going with you Right. Like I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not willing to do. Right. You know, and, and, and I think that it's super important to be the example, especially when no one's looking and especially when you have those days where you don't feel good and you're, and you're, and you're sore from the day before and you didn't get enough sleep and all the things that I say are the voices in your head called the don't want us. Oh, it's too, too, it's comfortable in bed. It's too dark. Me, 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 me. 
And you know, those voices in my head aren't invited to the conversation. I'm like, and I'll listen. I'll be like, Hey, bitch, you think this is a negotiation? <laughs> I love that. Where do you come from? Like, are you serious? And so, so, but it gets easier, right? But these, these don't want is never stop. This morning it happened. I, I, I didn't want to take my cold shower. And as soon as I saw him creeping up, I'm like, I see you. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to stomp him back down. And I'm like, now I'm going to take twice as long cold shower. I'm going to punish you. Don't want to. Right. So that way that you like, like neglect the don't want to and nurture the champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And eventually that it just, the path becomes clear. I want my don't want us to be like, I don't know if you've ever seen the original cartoon of, of the little mermaid, but you know, like the poor unfortunate souls in the little garden where they're just like little sad little wisps yeah. in the garden. Yeah. That's what I want. All my don't want us to be <laughs> just powerless. Yes. Still there. I get it. It's part of you. It's part of everybody. Right. And, and if you nurture them. They will take over. I used to be 300 pounds. I know what it's like. Wow. Yeah. You know? And so you got to figure out what it is you want and you've just got to be willing to do what it takes to get it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the secret to life. There was no shortcuts. There was no cheat codes because even if you get it all handed to you, it's going to catch up to you eventually. Right. Because you missed the steps that are foundational. And I learned that the hard way too. tried to skip steps and you know what? They show up in the least convenient time. When you need them the most, honestly, right. right? Like you're like, oh, I skipped steps. Now I'm five years ahead of everyone else. But now when the when the the ten year problem shows up in my five year experience, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah, kind of like we started in the beginning, kind of manufacturing that adversity early and setting up those boundaries early. Yeah, and there's so many places that you can still do this, even in the world that we live in. You know, I'm doing it, and it's not. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of time. And I'm telling you right now, I feel like a badass getting up at 430. <laughs> See, I, Every used, day. I used to I do that. And now, now you're kind of holding me to that standard. Now I have to go back to that. And you see how powerful being the example is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, again a, nat a natural born leader. It, it, it Again, you cannot sit here and tell me to wake up at 430. But to explain to me how you do it yourself and uh, again, curating the person who you want other people to become, you need to become that person. And so we're having this conversation right now. And I'm saying, all right, well, if he is somebody who I would like to be at some point, then again, it's very simple. The steps that the person that you want to be took to get to where they were, you just need to kind of, I guess if we're talking repetition that I know you hate, but that's something I think repetition is good for us. Repeating the things that- Oh, I no, no, yeah. Like repeating something and practicing it is not the same repetition that I'm saying. Like, yeah. But like everyone liking the same thing. Like if yeah. everybody likes it, nobody loves it. Mm. Yeah, right. And I'd rather have half the people love it and half the people hate it because they're all talking about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, kind of, that's the kind of foundation of marketing, right? Marketing's not about talking about yourself. Big mistake, everybody thinks that. It's about getting other people to talk about you. Right. That's marketing. Yeah. Creating the conversation for others to have. Yeah. And branding is having something to say hmm. and a personality to, to, to like yeah. and remember, you know? Absolutely. So, um, so yeah. So, so do you want me to come up with a question now? Yeah. Yeah. You could either say it now or, or, you know, if, if you got a jet in a minute, um, you could think about it too, if it's. I think that a perfect, a perfect question would be, how are you 
being the example for the people that matter to you most every day. And if you're not, what can you do to do that, to be that example? I, love that. I think it's so important people and, and, and <laughs> because, you know, branding and, and all this stuff we talk about, there's a lot of synergy because a brand is based on how you show up consistently. You get a nickname of the smelly kid because you showed up every day smelling, right? Right. You got a nickname as the kid who can, who can throw the, the, the farthest football because you did it over and over and over. Now you've got, now you're, now you're the cannon or whatever the hell, you know, right. and and it works both ways. So be careful what you're being consistent in. Hmm. Don't be the example of shit. Because it is it's, it's equally as easy to fall into that as it is to be an example of gold. Right. Yeah. Be careful what you're being consistent in because people are watching. And I want people to I want people to see me going through the shit um when I don't think anyone's looking at, at me. When I don't think anyone's watching because I think that's 10 times more powerful. Oh, yeah. And I don't ever need to know that they saw me and I don't ever need to get credit for it. And I don't care about any of that, but I want to make sure that I'm being the example so consistently that if people see me that I don't even know are seeing me and it changes their life in some way or, or, or corrects their path in some way or changes their line of thinking in some way, then it was all worth it. I love that. That's right back to the integrity and the, and the trust thing. I can trust somebody who does something when they're not performing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't post all of these things that I do online. I don't get up at four thirty to post it on Facebook. I don't. I hate social media. Oh because yeah. It's popular. Yeah. I I see that person. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's a perfect example too. But I see that I see always see that person who's up early and they they post it and then they've never been up early or they haven't been for six months prior to that and then they did it once. Six yeah. Months and ago. they and they won't for another three months after this. Exactly. No, I just want to show up transformed. Right. Right, exactly. that, that, and I won't say a word about it. Yep. Yeah. You go because the, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the results do the talking. I love that. I love that. That's powerful right there. But awesome, man. Hey, it's been, it's been a great pleasure having you on. I appreciate you giving us a little more time here. Um, like I said, you're the first established tycoon that we've had um, for, you know, for all intents and purposes. So I'm going to have to start a new channel eventually. Uh, and get this going on that because, uh, but no, like I said, everything you've provided here has been amazing. Uh, I want you to plug any of the, you know, any, any URL or whatever for the, I'll plug in your URL in the show notes, but anything that you want to plug social media wise or how to contact you guys, what you do, things like that. Sure. Sure. I mean, you can always find me on LinkedIn, Zachary Lemire. You can always check us out at pivotcreative.com. Um, but I'm not here to sell. Yeah. I'm just here to provide value and hopefully inspire some people. And, you know, if you want to have a conversation, hit me up on LinkedIn. Yeah. Hit him up. Yeah. He's a, a vault of knowledge. So, uh, but no, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.